What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Normal Guy Lazy Eye Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jared Magazine, your neighborly normal guy with a lazy eye here chatting with an individual that has an unbelievable story to share. And guys, today, uh, this is probably one of my favorite guests, one of my favorite interviews personally. I was so, so beyond stoked. Uh, to have this guy on when he answered my DM at about 1.30 in the morning, East Coast time. I saw it the next morning as I was getting ready for work. And he, we decided to do the interview on a sun, uh, on a Saturday. and uh, Or maybe it was a Sunday. But uh, I was so prepared. I was like over-prepared. And maybe, you know, I was like one of the first times I've ever asked a guest to do an hour and a half with me because I knew I had so many questions for this guy. I'm talking about Max Brown. And we're having a very interesting conversation about uh, failures, but not failing. Max Brown was, for all intents and purposes, supposed to be the next Peyton Manning. And as you may know, he's not the household name in the NFL that we all thought he could be. He's a former Division I uh, quarterback for the University of Southern California, as well as the University of Pittsburgh. And he has quite the story to tell. I don't want to give away too much, but what I do want to say about this Uh, interview is I hope everyone out there realizes that if things didn't go your way, if things didn't go according to plan, there's always still going to be a different road to take. And Max is the perfect example of that. And, you know, it may have taken me 51 episodes to realize this, but the title of the podcast is Normal Guy Lazy. And I always joke around that the person is the one that is always going to, the guest is always going to be the person with the better story. And maybe that is true. And it, it, in fact, it is true. But why I call it normal guy lazy guy is I'm, I'm just that guy. And we could have these conversations and, and it doesn't matter if you're just a salesman at a tech company in Boston and your cool thing is you have a lazy guy or you're Max Brown and you have this incredible story to tell. These two people can have this incredible conversation, and I'm excited for you guys to hear it. So without further ado, here is Max Brown. This is the Normal Guy Lazy Eye Podcast, a true eye-opening experience. All right, everyone, we have an unbelievable guest on this podcast, probably one of the most highly anticipated interviews for me personally. Max Brown is a former Division I college football player, quarterback for both the University of Southern California and the University of Pittsburgh. Out of high school, he was named the number one high school recruit in the country, winning the Gatorade Player of the Year not once, but twice. He was that dude. So where is he now? Not exactly where you'd expect and maybe not exactly where he'd expect. So don't get it twisted, though. This is not a story of failure, but a story of perseverance, hardships, never giving up, and always having the right attitude. We're so lucky to have him. And here to tell his story. Max, thank you so much for coming on, man. How are you? I'm great, Jared. Yeah, thanks for having me on. This will uh, be a blast. Absolutely. Yeah, we're, we're stoked to have you. And I well, I guess we'll just jump right into it. So like I said uh, in the introduction, you were that guy in the state of Washington growing up in Sammamish, just outside of Seattle. You played a lot of sports as a kid. When did you realize, like, maybe I need to stick to football? Maybe, like, this is my path. This podcast already off to a good start with the pronunciation of Sammamish right on point. Nailed it. Nailed it. Yeah, that question's always kind of funny because, like, in my world, in my mind, I think it got serious in dang elementary school. Like, I I remember fifth grade, 
my youth football team and the entire league was the only team that threw the football. And so mm-hmm. people in my own like immediate circle were kind of like, Hey, we might have something here. This is uh, this is a little bit different. This guy's athletic. He's tall. He's uh, and he can, he can throw the rock. And so in my world, it started pretty early. I think the real point that it, it, it kind of turned the corner is um, I went to very good public high school up here in Seattle. We were a nationally rated team, had D one guys coming out and, the quarterback before me at my high school was also the number one quarterback in the country. And so the narrative in my community and in the state of Washington was kind of like, Hey, who's going to replace Jake heaps. Mm-hmm. It's this skinny curly headed freshman guy named Max Brown. And I got an offer just after my freshman year that summer from uh, Steve Sarkeesian at Washington. And that's really when it kind of was like, all right, we, we got something here. And uh, that was the start of uh, a fairy tale high school career, as I uh, like to like to call it. Yeah, you bring up a really interesting point about like if your team is nationally ranked or like your high school is growing up like is like the high school for football, there's always the all right, who's next? And like when I was a freshman, we had Johnny Stanton, who was actually in your I believe he was in your recruiting class um, and he tore his ACL and it was always like, who's next? And I just I just could, I mean, I thank God I almost thank God I didn't play football because just the pressure of like always like like we're ready to replace whoever's not going to do well right so it just it it blows my mind and like I'm re-watching Friday Night Lights because I just absolutely love that show like I feel like this could be a very much real version of Friday Night Lights <laughs> without a doubt yeah I didn't realize you went to so you went to Santa Margarita yeah 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 I remember I mean I mentioned National Rank you guys were top 10 we were I think depending on the year right, right behind you guys yeah. maybe a little in front but yeah I know I knew Johnny well from the recruiting and I'm sure we'll tap into it, but it's a good story of, hey, I was supposed to be that dude, that next dude. Mm -hmm. Johnny was not as big of a recruit, but had some upside. And we blink, and he's been in the NFL for six years at a different position. And everyone's got their own path, but he's he's a stud and and good dude as well. Yeah, so I guess, you know, sticking with football was definitely the uh, best option and did pan out for the high school season. During your time as QB1 of Skyline, you completed 73% of your passes almost 13,000 yards, 146 touchdowns, two-time Gatorade uh, National Player of the Year. And, like, I actually heard a story that by your sophomore year, going into your sophomore year, you went into the guidance counselor's office and was like, hey, the plan is to graduate early. I want to go, you know, I'm going to go to play college spring ball, but before I even, like, you know, am a freshman, take, you know, tell me how I need to get these credits. How are you, like, in your head, 15, 16 years old, thinking, like, obviously this is the plan, but this house of cards, right, like, one thing happens, one injury, one, like, whatever it may be, and this whole thing's going downhill? Yeah, I guess when you're in it, you don't really think about it that way in terms of, uh, I just viewed it as this is my mission, this was Mm -hmm. my plan, and I, I I feel like a lot of guys that go to SC and are big-time recruits, like, everyone thinks they're going to be the guy that made it. But I wasn't delusional to the fact that, hey, the data is the data. Like the numbers are, don't line up that every guy is going to make it. And so I was always wired. And I say this humbly to say, hey, I'm the top guy and I'm going to work like uh, the walk on. There's not going to be a walk on quarterback that's out gonna, that's going to outwork me because I was wary of, hey, how blessed I am to kind of have these things going in my favor. And so in my mind, it was always like, hey, Max don't don't screw it up kind of thing and not like a pressure sense but like yeah. I had a responsibility to uh you know withhold what I what I, what I, or uphold with um kind of what I had but yeah I was always I've always kind of been wired that way of being wary of what's ahead of me and you mentioned that graduating early and all that and um 
luckily the quarterback before me at my high school did that. So I was always wary of what's ahead. And yeah. uh, it's a, a common theme in my college career too, of, you know, getting the degrees and sitting and waiting my turn a little bit. And um, thankfully that's always kind of been a, a, uh, ingrained in me from a young age. Yeah. And, and you kind of touched on it, like obviously as an athlete, no matter what sport you play and you, you maybe didn't call it like internal pressures. It's just kind of the mindset of like always being you know, wary of what's happening, but was there any ever external pressures? Like what were your friends and your peers saying? Like you, like Max has got to be the next guy. He's got to be, you know, he's gotten, he's going to be the next guy. He's going to be the next best. Like were your parents doing the same thing or like, was it really more just like, this is Max's journey and he's going to kind of lead it by himself. My parents are phenomenal and they were 100% in the lane of this is Max's journey and he's going to figure it out by himself. And even, and I give my dad crap to this day about it almost to a fault. If I'm being honest, like they were so wary of not being helicopter parents that they would be like, Hey, you can go wherever you want. Or like Lane Kiffin would ask my dad, Hey, do you have any questions? And my dad be like, no, we're all good. Versus like, no, most, most parents are kind of like, well, who's going to take care of my son? Where's my son going to eat? And Obviously, there's a there's a balance to it. I remember Pat Narduzzi in the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette um, called out my dad in a good way and said, Max does not have a quarterback dad. And for anyone in the quarterback world, you can piece together what I mean by that. And that a lot of a lot of quarterbacks dads or it feels like it's their journey uh, just as much as it is the kid's journey. And so my parents never had that. And I think that was very beneficial for any parents listening when I when things didn't work out for me and the internet was not friendly to me and everyone's saying I'm the biggest bust and all that. My relationship with my parents was never volatile. And so the relationship I had at home, uh, whether I was uh, the next Peyton Manning or if I was the biggest bust in college football the last decade, it didn't change my parents, which was, uh, which was huge. And uh, something I, I don't take for granted. You mentioned the, the external pressure as well. I think I already answered it, not in my parents and my family but, and not in my friends, but I, I felt it a little bit uh, and it was always kind of gradual, right? When I was a youngster, the pressure was, hey, my older brother was the state player of the year at my high school. So it's, mm. you know, upholding the Brown quarterback legacy right. and in youth basketball and youth football, it was on my shoulders to, you know, produce and win the game and score 20 points and uh, throw three touchdowns. So I always had that pressure. And then as I got older, it in incrementally got more and more to the point where, all right, Max, it's your turn to uh, bring USC back to prominence. Mm -hmm. But my whole life had kind of built up to that. And so in a way, I never knew anything different. All, all I ever knew was that pressure. And that speaks to where I'm at right now of 20 at 26 trying to tap it. I miss that heat. I miss that fire. I miss that intensity. And I know a lot of athletes out there relate to that too, in terms of uh, when your sport ends, it can be hard to find that fulfillment uh, because it's hard to, you know, you, you miss the fire when it's gone. Yeah. And we'll, and we will definitely get into that, but I wanted to, as we, as we continue on this, this journey by your junior year, it, it really came down to three schools, uh, maybe four, we'll throw in the in-state university of Washington, just to, just to be nice to the hometown, but it was Alabama, it was Alabama, Oklahoma, and the Trojans of USC. And I, I say the Trojans of USC because we are a Boston favored podcast. And sometimes when you say USC out here, it's like, oh, South Carolina, go Gamecocks. And, and like, as an Orange County kid myself, 
that was the weirdest transition for me going to school out in New England. I was like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> like the USC. I had the same thing at Pittsburgh. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, no, USC is, is Pete Carroll, is Matt Leinart, is Reggie Bush, is, you know, like LaDante. Like, literally it's, it's USC. Sorry. <laughs> like, so yeah, like, yeah. what was, and like, I have to imagine being the, the name recruit that you were, what was, was recruiting just an absolute madhouse? What was the biggest thing thinking about, like when you're deciding on a school? It wasn't as much of a madhouse as you might think. And I think a lot of that was how I was wired. I, coaches, when they were recruiting me, knew that I wasn't a guy that needed all the hoopla. And I wasn't a guy that, you know, had an entourage on every visit and a guy that needed every last person's approval and all that. I was pretty low key in the, in the relative spectrum of, of recruiting. And I feel like I did a solid job of, all right, when Duke was sending me letters all the time, I know I'm not going to Duke. Duke's right. a, a good school, don't get me wrong. Right. But there's a lot of guys that would entertain that. And just to say they have 50 offers. Well, I was the number yes. one quarterback in the country. I only had like 16 offers. So mm-hmm. I, 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 I purposely kind of kept it under wraps a little bit because, you know, um, I, I just didn't feel the need to, to, to go down that path. Um, I forgot the second part of your question though. After no, you, no. I mean like, what was like, I guess like, what was the biggest impact when choosing a school? What, first thing oh, I yeah, want to yeah. say too, though, to that is like, you bring up a really good point. I think in, in the recruiting world today with all social media, and we even talked about this last week on the show, like with NIL and, you know, name, image and likeness passing, like it is going to be an absolute, just Matt, like just a, a, a scene essentially, like, the yeah. you know choosing a college and the videos of like this is my top 50 if like if I have to watch a video of somebody's top 50 that's you know 10 minutes long of them going through every single name I'm, I'm gonna lose it <laughs> like it's crazy. exhausting it's exhausting, it's exhausting. Yeah. yeah no so I like, always say yeah ahead. I always say I, my, my age is interesting so I'm 26 I right. I always tell people anyone older than me my age or older Instagram and Twitter was not a cornerstone piece of their recruiting. Anyone right. younger than me, literally people 25 years and younger, mm-hmm. um, Twitter or Instagram and or Instagram was a piece of their recruiting. So I always have a, like our, my re- recruiting class has a unique perspective on that. But you asked the different factors of why I went to SC. The honest truth is it was, it was a bunch of little factors. And a couple pieces of advice that I always kept front of mind is, don't go somewhere because of the coach because they could always leave. And I had five head coaches in college that definitely yeah. <laughs> uh, held true. And then one piece of advice that I always tell guys is go somewhere where you're going to be happy on a Wednesday night in February. And what I mean by that is when there's no fans and there's no college football Saturdays and you're in your dorm and you're just a college student, where are you going to be the most happy? And I think especially when my football career didn't, didn't, what wasn't, wasn't, uh, wasn't too hot at SC for a couple of years there. I always enjoyed going to school there. I always had great friends and that certainly helped me. And that's a huge piece of advice. But at the time when I went to committed SC, they were the number one team in the country. They did not take a quarterback in the grade above me. I had a chance uh, to compete for the job right when Matt Barkley left school I was a West Coast kid, so Matt and Matt Liner, Reggie Bush, and that legacy was something I wanted to be a part of. And I had it in my head that I wanted to go to a premier program. So you listed it out. It was Oklahoma, Alabama, SC, um, and yeah, Washington a little bit there too. But I wanted, I wasn't afraid to to leave my hometown, wanted to be at a blue blood program and landed with the USC Trojans. Yeah. And, and like you said, when you got to campus in January of 2013, you had a mission, you had an opportunity 
to win the starting job to replace Matt Barkley, who had left for the draft. It was between you, Cody Kessler, and Max Wittick. Like, realistically, like, was it, I really do have an opportunity, or is it like, I'm just the young guy, and if I make it, it's a, like, it's a blessing, or was it like, the expectation was, I'm going to be QB1 come September? The latter, and some people who are in the know might think I'm, Oh, oh, Max, come on. Like you might yeah. be far-fetched, but right. the, the blueprint was there before me. That's exactly what Matt Barkley did. Matt Barkley mm-hmm. was the Gatorade National Player of the Year. He graduated high school early. He came in and replaced Mark Sanchez, and the rest is history. So in my mind, I said, he laid the blueprint. I'm just going to follow the lead, and there's no reason I can't do this because I am a five-star quarterback, number one guy, and at that point, Max Wittick and Cody Kessler hadn't had a bunch of success, and so – 100% the expectation was there. And I, 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 I'm not naive to the fact that I think I probably put more pressure on myself than I, than I needed to. I, I didn't necessarily give my, myself a chance to make mistakes because I felt the urgency the day I stepped on campus. And so when I wasn't playing well, and I, I certainly was a guy who, you know, could, could use a redshirt year. Some quarterbacks need it. Every quarterback could use it. I certainly yeah. was a guy that needed it. And um, I was I was harsh on myself. And I talk about that to this day of in the sports world, we celebrate the Mamba mentality and in many respects for the right reason. I certainly think I tapped into that. And uh, during my athletic career, I believe I was wired in that capacity. And I don't take that lightly. I mean, uh, of what I'm saying. But the flip side of that is when I wasn't having success and I was beating myself up and I was saying, Max, you got to figure it out. Then I became my own worst enemy. And and that type of thing. So I think certainly the expectation was to play right away. Um, but then my mindset certainly shifted when I lost that quarterback competition. And the way I, I talk about it now is I knew my time was going to come later at SC unless something injury or Kessler got kicked out of school or something yeah. like that. And so certainly a, a mindset shift from January of 2013 to um, say a couple years later, I guess a year later type of thing. Yeah. And, like I know the red shirt, you know, title has its own connotations and some people may think, you know, it's not the best thing or and others may think this is what you need. What was, what were some of the big things that you learned from that red shirt year that put you in a position to battle better that first year of actual eligibility? Would you say? It's a great question. I would say, when you, when you ask that, it's, it's more of the on-field things that I learned. I, yeah. I don't necessarily know if I have a groundbreaking, like Max as a human being answer, um, but I think it allowed me to, you know, uh, catch up to the speed of the game and learn the offense better and be able to operate and, you know, um, mature as a football player. And I, I don't want to sound high and mighty, but I, I wasn't a guy who came in with a big ego and thought, hey, I'm going to come in here and I'm going to be the, the greatest thing since sliced bread. I thought I was going to come in and be the starter, but right. I knew, man, hey, Max, you're, you're on the bottom of the totem pole. And so I think if you ask that question to a lot of my teammates, if we're being honest, and I say this humbly, they would say, man, I got humbled, man. I thought I was going to come in here and, you know, be the, win the Heisman freshman year. Well, I thought I was going to have success, but I wasn't walking in with my chest puffed out and all that. And so I, I don't necessarily have a groundbreaking uh, growth of the human. I think that growth happened over the next two years kind of thing in terms right. of, you know, growing uh, 
just it was my first time that I experienced and I failure or at least uh, setbacks. And mm. I think sometimes we shy away from the world word failure. And I, I'm not one to do that. Like we had a goal freshman year and I didn't get it done. So the, you know, like uh, what's, what, what's the opposite of success? Well, it's, it's, it's failure. I know that's harsh. I'm not naive to that, but I think the biggest learning and this is a roundabout answer is that was the first time I experienced failure. So um, the, just persevering through that, uh, was a what was a big big learning experience for me yeah and I, I mean I guess the like because you bring up a point of like you're catching up to game speed obviously the, the high school game is a little bit di- a lot different than the college game but you're not playing an actual game like is 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 practice really getting it done in terms of like like I mean that might be a dumb question but learning how it, an actual running out of the tunnel at the LA Coliseum on a Pac-12 game, you know, prime time, like this is what it's going to feel like. Because I feel the nerves on a on a Wednesday afternoon practice after you had a you know a lunch at the mess hall isn't going to be the same as you know Saturday Night Lights. It's a great point. I think it's spot on. I always tell tell that to people. I was at SC for almost four years of real time before I had my first start, and so my gauge of what was intense and what was pressure was the Saturday scrimmages. I never had real life reps before I went into Alabama. And I definitely think that limited me. And I think there's something to be said about trial by fire. And even if I went out there as a youngster and didn't have success, well, then my perspective would be, hey, intensity is, or intense is in the Coliseum against Utah in a real life game. And I never really experienced that before I started. So I, I, I think as a result, my practices became so intense and I, I I followed the advice of people that said hey treat practice like a game Max you got it you got to be intense don't be screwing around like some of your teammates and so I'm like sweet and I'm dialed in before practices almost to a fault because I think I put too much pressure on myself but I I say that because if I had played in more games early on I think it would have allowed me to have more fun and not take practice as serious which I think there was a there, there was a world where maybe I would have grown more as a player and a person if I had that true life trial by fire experience early on in my career. Right, right. And so after a, a ten and four season, right? I, I mean, this isn't in a, in a Las Vegas win in twenty thirteen. We'll give it to you guys there. This isn't the return to greatness that SC has recruited you for. So, and ultimately, one thing I want to know, and you kind of brought it up to uh, during your time at SC, you had four head coaches four different head coaches yeah, right? Yeah, and yeah. and and by the start of your first season of eligibility Steve Sarkeesian comes in as the head coach you brought it up he was the first person to give you a scholarship right after your freshman year to the University of Washington what happens this season and why aren't you named the starter because for all intents and purposes you're like this is this is my dude like I, you know he's gonna like me you know it's a new change this is like this is the best case scenario for me the short answer is I just got beat out. Um, Cody Kessler was the quarterback. He was the start of the year before. C- Cody's as consistent of a quarterback as I've ever played with. And I've played with Sam Darnold, who's the um, Carolina Panthers quarterback. I played with Ben DiNucci, who started for the Cowboys last year. So I've, I've seen my array of quarterbacks. And right. Kessler's ceiling might not be as high as some of those guys, but he is as consistent as they come, which makes it hard to, to beat a guy out like that. And so that's the short answer. Um, but yeah, to, to, to dive into it further, you, you mentioned, I mean, 
when Sark got hired, I'm thinking, sweet, this is a perfect storm. This is mm -hmm. the guy that first offered me. I was thankful I handled recruiting the way I did because I had to call up Sark and say, hey, coach, I'm not playing for you at Washington. Sorry, best of luck. Mm -hmm. Sure enough, about a year later, he's now my head coach. So life right. has a funny way of coming full circle in that regard. But uh, <laughs> I won't get long-winded. The reality is I just got beat out, and it was back to the drawing board for me. It was back to the trenches. And uh, I, I had a chip on my shoulder in terms of, like, all right, Max, like you're getting tested. You're getting mm -hmm. tested and you didn't have the easy road that you would have thought. And um, I put in the work behind the scenes. I ended up being weightlifter of the year at the end of that season. And as a backup quarterback, I said, all right, this is uh, we're going to we're going to do the lonely work. And as I referenced before, I'm going to take the Mark Sanchez route where it was mm -hmm. kind of like, all right, college football world. I'll see you in a couple years. And uh, you might you might have forgotten about me. You might have expected me to play the first three years, but you're going to see on the back end all the work. Uh, uh, that, that I'm putting in. That was kind of how I was thinking about things as a backup quarterback at that time. And before I get into this next question, just because you brought up the Mark Sanchez method a couple of times, I, you know, my sister graduated with Sanchez at Mission Viejo and like, we all watched him growing up thinking like, yeah, he's going to start at SC right away. And like, people, you're right. Like people kind of almost forgot about him to a point. And then when he started his junior year and the rest is history, but it's just funny how things work out that way. You think like, to your point, you, you had all the stats in your high school career you like you were that dude and then you know you had to wait the same thing happened to Sanchez and it's just it's just so funny because you're like this guy's so dominant yeah and I mentioned before with the blueprint that Barkley left or lay Sanchez right. did the same thing so a common question I get now is hey Max did you ever think about transferring the honest answer is no because I found peace in the fact that hey if I get two years on the back end to start at USC I can still accomplish everything that I wanted and so that's once again the, the the mindset that I that I tapped into as a as a young college quarterback. But I want to I want to scratch that itch just a little bit further because I mean you you are the reigning number one recruit. You like you were on everyone's list. Like why not think there is an opportunity waiting for me and I don't have to have this. I mean like I know I know you're the first to say I loved the competition with these guys and competing for that starting position. But like why not go to somewhere where you're like guaranteed the spot you could pad the stats you can get that you know that spot into the nfl draft earlier yeah the one thing about competition whoever <laughs> says that they like competing for job is absolutely lying their teeth it's one of the pet peeves of my coat the coaches out there is oh competition makes everyone better that's not always the case no. and if that was the case then everyone would want to log jam at Alabama and compete behind the scenes. Like get out of here. That's, that's never, that's never, that's never the truth. Um, and I had no problem competing if that, you know, had led to a, a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow type thing, but trust me, I would have rather played right away. Um, I think this is where I always say the connotation around transferring has changed over the last decade. I think it's taken a full 180. When I was in it, um, I was wired more, hey, if you transferred, that meant you failed. And I was, that's obviously me being extreme. And that's me putting more pressure on myself. But I, I always had this connotation that, hey, if I transferred, that means I didn't get it done. Yeah, and I, I didn't find a way to you work. You needed the second opportunity. You needed that second chance. to Exactly. And, I, and to, to my own fault, I was wired that way versus now transferring is much more accepted. And I think if I was in college now, I would have entertained that world a little bit more because there it's more accepted. And mm -hmm. That just was never something I wanted to entertain. And in a more concrete, excuse me, in a concrete way, 
I, I was the backup at SC. So I was like, I'm one hit away. I'm, I'm one injury away. And for three years, Cody Kessler only missed one snap of real life football. So there certainly was a world where, hey, Max, he'd be, he'd be dumb to transfer. Hang tight. You're, you're one injury away from playing. And you see that story play out in college football every year of some backup quarterback getting a chance. And uh, the yeah. rest is history. Yeah, I mean, you even saw it with like even Nick Foles and the Eagles, <laughs> I mean, like yeah. in the NFL, right? And, like, and the one thing I will say is, come year three, so my third spring, I started playing really well, and dare I say, I, I thought I had a, a better spring than Cody that that third spring, and so there was a certain piece I had where, hey Max, they, you're turning the corner, and the second you get an opportunity, man you're going to be good to go. And sure enough, the, 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 that next summer, Sam Darnold would come to campus. But uh, I, I found peace in the fact that I was, at, I was playing really well at a high level on the practice field. And so it wasn't like I needed to, you know, transfer to find a coach that liked me. It was just, no, Max, hang tight, be patient. And uh, in my mind, I thought things were going to fall into place. Right. And, and to kind of even like go back to maybe even like the thoughts that you may have had, maybe, maybe the, it was never to transfer, right? You thought, I don't want to be that guy. But was there ever an idea in your head that like, hey, this whole story would be so different if I had gone to Bama, if I had gone to Oklahoma, if I had gone to Washington? Did, you, did those thoughts ever come into your head? Because, I mean, like I have to think some athletes out there were like, what if I chose to go here instead? Yeah, they come into your head. I mean, I'm still a human being. I, I think they came into my head more of a fun talking point rather than something that's like gets me down or like, man, right. if only whatever, like any of those. The, the fun one that I get all the time is because uh, I'm from outside Seattle, like we talked about. And it's, hey, Max, what if you went to Washington State with Mike Leach and one of my best buds? Played middle linebacker there and he's a, a Cougar great now. Um, Peyton Pluer. And so those are the thoughts that are fun just in backyard conversations with the friends. That, so that's the only one I really entertain. At the end of the day, it, it's, I, I find, I feel confident in the due diligence I've done at every step of the way. So and I get pushed back on that comment all the time. My girlfriend thinks I'm, you know, crazy sometimes for saying, Max, what, like, how are you at peace with how things played out in the back end at SC? Like you should have had a harder conversation with Helton or you should have called them out or like all those things. It's like, Maybe, but at the end of the day, I was always conscious at every step of the way of assessing the factors I knew and making the best decision at, at, at the time. And because of that due diligence, it's given me a lot of peace now at 26 when the music stops and there's no one talking about my playing career, or at least no one analyzing my playing career. And um, it's given me, uh, given me some peace, which is a big message I, I tell guys today who there's a lot of my counterparts that are they're struggling man it's, it's 26 or trying to find their identity post football and having some grievances or whatever the right word is with with their playing career and not able to move forward and I think uh, all that's kind of wrapped up in how I was how I'm wired and how I'm able to move forward today I gotta say too like for that question that uh, that your girlfriend asked you Victoria Garrick for those that don't know like you you just say like well then like what about us we might like if things didn't work out and I'd gone somewhere else like we might not even be here today too <laughs> it's totally totally we, and we got into it I went on our podcast and she put called me out. she's like how what are you're out of your mind how do you yeah. not like regret anything it's mm. I mean it's 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 the truth I won't belabor the the the, the point there um but uh yeah to your point I always joke with her hey, I would have found her no matter what yeah. but uh 
it was a weird time. The, the darkest point in my life was the fall of 2016. And that's when we first started dating. So it was a, a blessing in disguise for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, we finally get to your redshirt junior year. You're the guy, you know, Cody's gone. You're the upperclassman. It's your turn to lead this team. But, and you brought this up and it's a name that is a household name now. Uh, this little kid from Orange County, Sam Darnold, comes in and, and is is fighting for your spot. This isn't something new to you, a position battle, but like, come on, like this is, it's every year at this point. But was there anything different specifically about this spring or this position battle that you were like, that something, it's just something different than the Cody Kessler battles or the Matt, you know, Max Wittick battles? Never been asked that. It's a great question. I mean, the obvious answer is now I'm the upperclassman. So I think in the back of your mind, when you're the youngster and you're competing, there's always next year. It's uh, the the downside isn't as low where it's when you're the upperclassman, if I don't win this job, I got to transfer. I got to move across the country. I'm out of here. Like it's, it's all or nothing. And so I think the biggest difference is just the pressure. What's at stake. I think for Sam, and I remember talking to him about this, he was kind of playing with house money, right? He was a, a lower level recruit in SC standards. And if he loses the job to me, it's all good. He'll wait. He'll be happy. All that. Yeah. I never had that luxury and maybe it's to my own fault and pressure I put on myself, but I don't think so. I think that's the, that, that's the downside of being a five-star recruit is you're, you're supposed to play right away. And there's no, you're playing with house money type of thing that the clock is ticking. And so the biggest difference was just the pressure um, or the, the just the, what maybe not pressure but the stakes the stakes mm-hmm. were higher and um yeah and I think the another difference in a good way was I was used to this you mentioned it this is my third competition battle at SC so I knew what to expect I had learned you talk about what did I learn before as a youngster I was comparing every single throw to Cody and if he made a deep ball pass to Nelson Aguilar down the sideline well I needed to find Darius Rogers the next possession and do the same thing Mm-hmm. And I had truly grown past that to not play that game. And I knew that that would be an advantage I had as the older guy, because maybe Sam, he is com- comparing uh, his reps to mine. And that's where I think Sam's a stud. And I, I, I don't think he's wired in that way. But just the growth that I had learned from being on campus for three, four years, um, I think was a beneficial thing that had changed in the uh, later competition battle with Sam. Do you wish that you weren't as the high stakes as it was coming out of high school at this point like I just to your point on like Sam's story like you know he was just the 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 SoCal kid that went to the SoCal school that could be the next quarterback like that's how his that's his high school story he had a great career uh in high school but it was just like like the class like and just being an Orange County kid growing up and and seeing these football players go to these schools like it's like okay Pac-12 like just stay you know stays in house all the time rather than like, we're going to watch every single move this kid makes from the minute his sophomore year of high school starts. Do you like, do you, I don't want to say like, do you regret it? Because it really wasn't up to you. Like you just did your job, you played well, but do you kind of like, was there any like, man, I just wish I could just go out there and play and just be me like without all this noise. Honestly, no. And that might sound um, against kind of what I've been saying before, but I always viewed it as it came with the territory. And a great example of this is all the recruiting rankings I had were a result of an unbelievable, what I call fairy tale childhood in that there are so many amazing memories that I had in high school with some of my best friends. And ironically enough, this Wednesday, I'm flying up to Seattle and going on a golf trip with eight guys that I went to high school with that were all my 
receivers, running back, linemen that were still tight today a decade later. And so I don't have that today without all the success in high school and all the success in high school led me to be a five-star recruit. So I wouldn't change it one bit. I view it as it just kind of comes with the territory. Um, but there certainly are two sides to it. There's definitely the, the, the climb up and the analogy I always use is in two, in year 2000, if you were a five-star recruit and you fell off or things didn't work out for you, it'd be like falling off a two-story building and spraining your ankle. Well, now in year 2021, if you're a five-star recruit, or even when I was there in 2013, it's like falling off a 10-story building, and you're going to get a broken leg for sure. Uh, but for some guys, that can get a lot more serious quickly in terms of their life falling off the rails because everything's so public and you can't hide and all that. So to, uh, to, to, for people to not acknowledge that uh, the flip side, and I get that all the time. When I, when I, on my social media, when I talk about you know, people calling me a bust and whatnot. I get a lot of pushback. If Max, you're not a bust. You're not a bust. If I'm not a bust, then who the hell is? Right. And if you're not acknowledging that, then you're doing a disservice and to the people that feel that pain. And I feel like I'm in a good place, but there's a lot of guys that are that are struggling. And when you when 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 people can't relate to the pain that comes comes across or comes along with some of the downsides of uh, of college football, it's uh, it becomes it puts people in, uh, in, in some, 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 some lonely spots when, uh, it's, 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 it's not acknowledged. Right. And like, I, I mean, I just think of all the, all of what social media has done well for college recruiting, but also into your point of like falling off that 10 story building. And in some cases, like, it's like not even the pressure of the fans, the pressure of the school, the pre- it's like, in some cases, it's like my family is riding on this. Totally. Know, like, I promised a house for my family in the NFL. Like after I get dry, like it, the mental health of these athletes is on such a tightrope that one slip now. And like, yeah, to your point too, like, I think you were, like you said, just before the social media boom, but I mean, now it just feels like everything is riding on this. And it's hard too, because it, it's a two edged, two, two edged sword. You got to lay in the bed that you make. And what I mean by that is if you're a guy who's arrogant and cocky and thinking his shit don't stank in high school and he's letting people know he's the five-star recruit, well, then in high in college, when things don't work out for you and the, the chickens come home to roost or whatever, it's going to be a hard time for, or people are going to have a hard time feeling bad for you and feeling uh, empathetic for you. And therefore that can be an even lonelier spot because mm-hmm. of the social media and what guys put upon them their set themselves. And so that's another message I always try to say of it's so hard for young high schoolers to, to, to reach that, but to, to stay level headed on it. One, when the success happens, you'll have even more people pulling for you. But then two, if things don't work out, you need your tribe and your army as large as possible because you never know, uh, you just, you never know where life's going to take you. And it, it become, I've seen so many guys kind of fall down that path of at 17, they're the, the, the coolest thing on the block at 27, they're behind their peers. And it's a whole path that I'm sure all, all, all the listeners have, uh, have seen before. I was going to say it to, to round out the analogy, when you fall off that 10 story building, you want to turn around and see who's waiting for you in the lobby of that building, because if there's no one there, no one's going to be able to take you to that, you know, to the hospital to just round up the analogy here. Exactly. Well said. Well yeah. said. Yeah. So uh, back to, back to football here, you do ultimately beat out Sam Darnold for the position. You do get named started uh, starting quarterback. Your first, your first game is 
probably the tallest ask of a I don't care if you're the first time you're starting is your senior year you know fifth year senior you're going up against number one Alabama the stakes couldn't be higher it's it's Cowboys Stadium Arlington Texas everyone will be watching this game mainly in my opinion just watching USC too like growing up as a kid everyone wants to see SC lose especially to the SEC like literally there's no other conference that wants to beat the Pac-12 more than the SEC but I want to ask from the positive perspective, what were your thoughts like this? Like this, the stakes couldn't be higher and I'm loving this right now. Exactly. That's what you sign up for. That's, that's yeah. why you go to SC to have Arlington, Texas, USC, Alabama. I mean, growing up on the, growing up, I remember eating grilled cheese sandwiches with my dad on Saturday afternoons, watching those games and to even the idea of even playing in those was ridiculous. That, that doesn't happen to a guy from, suburbs of Seattle like get out of here so to be playing in that game it was awesome and that's that's how I tried to think about it but it also wasn't this just you know charity event like I was offered by Alabama and that, all those guys in the SC locker room they're thinking they're like we're gonna beat these guys man mm-hmm. this is our time this is a new season we, we had a, a good roster we're thinking Alabama they're, they're gonna struggle on offense they have a young quarterback like we're coming in to win and so there's certainly an element of, oh, wow, it's Alabama, but it's like, no, nah, get out of here. Mostly, most of the starters on SC had been offered by Alabama. So mm-hmm. um, th- that's how guys are thinking about it. Obviously it's wishful thinking, but yeah, in hindsight, I mean, I, I, with no hedge, and if any of the listeners think I'm crazy, I think that's the best defense in college football history. No hedge whatsoever. You look at that roster, 11 of those defensive starters are, uh, or I don't know if I said team, I meant defense, best defense. Mm-hmm. Uh 11 of those starters, I think eight are starting the NFL currently five years later. Um, one of the guys that's not starting the NFL is Tim Williams, who was the SEC defensive player of the year. That defense was loaded. Um, that whole, I remember, I'll never forget the Monday install before we said, um, all right, uh, we're going to attack this, the, the, the field corner. We feel, really feel like we can pick on him. And like in his bio, it's SEC freshman first team like just loaded like our our guy that we're picking is just you know on, a, on the fast track to the NFL and so right. it was quite the uh the first game but I, I genuinely was thinking this is what you sign up for and I'll never forget I had a cool moment with myself in uh before the coin toss I remember uh, the, the the bathroom was kind of disconnected to the locker room and in, uh, in the Arlington uh, AT&T stadium. And I remember like staring at myself in the mirror for a good, like 20 seconds of real time. And just having that piece of Max, you're ready for this. You're at, or you're as ready as you're going to be and, and a sense of pride and kind of the, what I had done the, 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 the three years before that and kind of what I had persevered to get to this moment, to stick it out, to stay put. And at the time I'm thinking, perfect. This is the, now this is the start of the journey. We're going to go, we're going to shock the world. We're going to get SC back and all those thoughts before kickoff and then kickoff happened and we got our asses kicked. But uh, yeah, that, that game was uh, before it was a special time. And after it started the, it was not fun, but uh, yeah, what, what, quite the experience. Yeah. For real. Like, yeah, you, you kind of nailed it right there. Like the, the befores was all, I don't want to say all sunshine and rainbows, but from an aesthetic perspective, it was like the perfect storm. Then the game started. And like you had mentioned, you guys do get blown out in the flight back to California. Is there like, cause you have Utah state coming up next. And like I said, like the expectation as a team was for you guys to go in and win this thing, but like ranking wise, Alabama was supposed to win. Right. 
were you thinking like I'm I'm at risk to my job already? Or was it like, hey, let's just rip the band-aid off here? You know, we're not gonna get our perfect season anymore, but we still can win the Pac-12, we can still win the Rose Bowl, yeah, you know, all that fun stuff. Yeah, there's two sides to it. I think we well internally we wanted to beat Alabama we were expected to lose. So it wasn't like the, the, the sky was falling because right. we had lost or because we had blown out. But for me personally, I knew the, 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 the pressure was, was heating up and not only because we lost to Alabama, but I found it weird the way they were handling Sam. And it, it was not in line with what I had anticipated and what was kind of communicated to me. And what I mean by that is, when I was named starter, they said, all right, and Sam, you're going to be the backup and we'll put some special packages in for you. Well, they put in Sam in the second half and they weren't special packages. They were just normal football. And some of the comments of before the game of Helton saying, hey, Max, you're and that's Max, you're going to throw for four touchdowns and Sam, you're going to throw for two. And I was thinking that's a weird thing to say to a backup quarterback. I never was told that three for the past three years uh, when I was the backup. So there were right. certain things that were like, uh, in hindsight, I, I knew those never sat right with me, but I, I, this is one thing. I never went down that path. I said, all right, Max, next opportunity, you got Utah State, great opportunity to put up some big numbers and get this thing back on track, like next play mentality. Um, and I think in that regard, it was a healthy mindset to have, but obviously a, a couple short weeks later, I ended up getting benched. And uh, that was the, uh, that was the harsh, harsh reality that, kind of started at the at the Alabama game yeah and so let's let's kind of jump to that I'll, for the listeners here just to keep it in chronological right you go out you guys go crush Utah State that that was the expectation that was that was pretty easy then you go to number seven Stanford up at the farm it's a rivalry game it's already it's an early Pac-12 game too like if I remember correctly if I just know college football like conference play usually doesn't start that early but yeah, Stanford SC is always goofy like that. Yeah. But yeah, it was an early conference game. Right. So this is also like setting the bar for Pac-12 and all that stuff. Uh, and you, like you said, it, was, it wasn't the best game. And you, you've said this before on other shows. You kind of knew that this could be it. You could get benched from this. But can you take me through going into the office? I know you guys had practiced that Sunday. What, like were you maybe not shocked but is stunned the right word here stunned is the right word and it's one of those things where do I think I should have been benched no right. I think um and that and people forget the narrative when I did get benched was their scapegoating Max Brown and I, I don't say that as a, a bitter resentful thing I just say that as a reminder to people that follow the story of hindsight's 2020 now I'm the guy not in the NFL and Sam's playing in the, uh, in the NFL and it's like, Oh, of course they, they benched Max. Well, right. don't forget that wasn't the case when, uh, when that happened, we weren't playing we weren't playing well as a team. And uh, don't get me wrong. I know the deal. When, uh, when you're the quarterback, you get more credit when times are good and you get more fault when times are times are bad. And so I knew big picture wise, if you're the starting quarterback at SC and you start one and two, that, it, something's got to change and the head coach isn't going to fire himself and he's probably not going to fire the offensive coordinator. And so he fired the starting quarterback. So that's where I wasn't naive to the realities of what's going on, but yeah. So then walking into the, into the office Sunday morning, we had a, a, a walkthrough and I was the starting quarterback then, but then Helton pulled me aside at the end and said, Hey, come up to my office when you get a second. At that point, you're still trying to be optimistic and saying, Oh, you never know. Uh, maybe he's going to communicate that, 
you know, Sam's going to get a quarter or something like that. Or you, you try to convince yourself of uh, something more positive. But when he told me the news, stunned is the perfect uh, world word because it it's not shocked. I wasn't surprised, but it's it's you know it's it's a in many respects kind of a lifetime of building up to this moment to then have it not work out, and that was kind of just the end of the road. Mm-hmm. There was so much battling back and uh, so ba- so much battling back at SC of hey, there's the next season, the next competition, hey, next play, all that type of mentality of, hey, Max, you'll get him next time. That whole wiring that for I the most part is healthy. one narrative across the board. I do think it is magnified at the college football level, at the, you know, the uh, division one power five conference level, like, hey, just next, next opportunity. But like, we need to take a second and pause for it. Like, and, like you're a human being. You just lost your job for all intents and purposes. Like in the career world, this is getting fired from your dream job. And you're just expected to be like, thanks coach, ready for the opportunity when you give it to me next. Exactly. And so in that same round, I didn't say much in my meeting with Helton. I I remember pushing him on the, like, was there certain plays or is there certain things that like I could have done better? And he said, no, or whatever. He's like, we just need a spark. That was always the line that was in the papers is we just need a spark. We just need a spark. It's not on you. This is, we just need a spark. And I was like, well, and I said, well, coach, Come on now. I remember saying this, like, it is on me. If you're benching me and then that kind of, he wasn't used to Brownie uh, with that sentiment kind of pushing him on things. And so that's about all I said. And I mean, your whole life in a weird way, it sounds intense, but people who've been in the arena, they know what I'm talking about. Your whole kind of football life kind of flashes before you, before your eyes. And uh, the, the world kind of stops around you when it's something that means so much. So it's so important to you. And yeah, I'm, lived with seven football players and didn't really want to go home by that and went to a uh, little chapel area uh, in the corner of campus and the harsh reality is I cried my eyes out for about an hour and to the point I mean this is it's more than a game it is it's more than a game and for the the dream and the the work to not pay off it was uh gut-wrenching for sure and like going back to your point on like you know, the coach was saying, this isn't on you. We just need this. Like as a team, we just need this, but to like, you know, what the next, the tomorrow's headline in the LA times is going to be is Brown is, you know, benched as starting quarterback. Like it pretty much feels like you're the, for the, you know, for like publicity standpoint, you're the reason why SC is failing. Like, how do you, what, what are you, what are your next steps from here? And, and trying to, I, maybe if you even weren't trying to stay positive, but trying to move forward from this. It's hard. It's really, really hard. And I don't think there's any blueprint that someone can talk you through. You guys, it's, it, it's, it's time to look yourself in the mirror and kind of, and really decide what type of person you are. Are you going to go down a bitter, resentful, complaining narrative in the media and all that? Or are you going to say, this is the hand that I was dealt and accept it and not in a way where oh I'm accepting that it's not going to work out like no there's still a chip in your shoulder but you know um just finding peace in the fact that you did what you could type of thing and this is how things are uh things are unfolding but that that is the hardest thing because as the weeks went on and our team started to win I'll never forget right before I transferred to Pitt uh, I was having pizza with my girlfriend Victoria and the uh, Daily Trojan, which is the school newspaper, some student reporter, bless their heart, um, was trying to make a. Good, 
<laughs> yeah, a good article. And at the end, they, the, the closing sentence of, hey, like, Trojans go to the Rose Bowl behind Darnold, whatever. And the ending line was, one can only imagine where the Trojans would be if Brown never started. It's hard to not forget or not think that a national championship would be on the horizon. And there's fans to this day that think that. 100%. There are fans today very um, knowledge, or I was, I don't know, knowledgeable, but level-headed <laughs> – Real, real fans that say if Max Brown never started, SC could be in the college football playoff that year. And that's something I got to, I got to, you know, deal with to this day. That's not something that's in the past kind of thing. And how I deal with that, I think it's, you know, look at myself in the mirror and I know what I invested. I know what I put in. And so I think when people struggle moving forward, it's because there is some doubts and I wish I would have in some of that, but I'm at peace with it because in my my teammates, my coaches, not that it matter, but like Sam, like all every those guys know what what I brought to the table. And and that's what matters the most to me when all the dust settles and, and the music stops, so to speak. Yeah. And like the comments like that, like, first of all, I thank God every day that I didn't play a, um, a revenue generating sport in college because I just that that kind of stuff would have never happened in the swimming world maybe at like Berkeley or UT, like the big names, but just like at Providence college, like no one cared about that. It's, but it's always the people that can hide behind an alias can hide. Like they never set foot in a college weight room. They never was up. They were never up at 6am. And I'm just saying like, as an athlete, and I can just like resonate with what you're saying so much more than like, I mean, people should get what you're trying to say here, but it's just like the work that we put in as athletes for you to have one sentence like that in your paper, like you, like that's just, that boils my blood. And like, I, I I'm sure it did for you too. hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> it sucks. And it's, it's one of those things where now that I'm years removed from it right. and I just, we, we kind of talk about it, like just matter of fact that people are like, Oh, well, that's unfortunate. Hey, don't get a twist. That stuff still fires me up to this day. Mm-hmm. And people ask me now in my life of, Oh, Max, well, what motivates you? And all that things like, don't, th- th- you never forget that stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I remember that article. And I think, I think if you're truly about that life in terms of competing and pushing yourself and wanting to be your best self and embracing that athletic mindset, I think that's healthy. I think, you know, obviously don't be bitter and resentful about it, but I'm not of the mindset that it's just, oh, shucks. Oh, shucks, yeah. Max. That, 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 that didn't happen. Like, no, nah, I'm, yeah. I'm still pissed the work that I put in in my college football career didn't, didn't play off but I just try to channel it in the most healthy way possible and be, you know, grateful and, and appreciative and, and um, keep the good, good parts uh, front of mind as much as possible as well. Right. Right. And, and right now, like in this point in our story, your, 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 your college football career isn't over. You do make the decision to transfer to Pitt. Uh, and even there, you're actually left fighting for the starting job. You do beat out the competition but uh, stop me if you've heard this before. After a one and two start, you do get benched. Uh, but by all means, too, like the two losses came against Penn State and Oklahoma State. So when I read that, I was like, really? Is that what we're thinking about now at the University of Pittsburgh? Like we have to bench our starting quarterback after two losses like that? Uh, it's only momentarily you're brought back in as the starter. Uh, no, like before we get to October 7th, and we'll get to that in a second, it's by all intents and purposes, it's not exactly the transfer year that you're expecting, right? Like, you know, you maybe thought, and correct me if I'm wrong, but like, this was my year to at least show NFL prospects that I have what it takes to go into the draft and, and be a quarterback in the NFL. 
but you're you know like with weeks you know as a as a backup you know it's not the end all be all did the window of like the nfl opportunity really start to shrink in here after the benching at pit or like were you still under the impression that i can still make this happen still under the impression that i can make this happen it was almost comical how i just couldn't catch a like Right. And I hate that term because I don't, I don't want to be, I was always, that was one of the biggest things I learned from my sports psych is just that whole victim mindset, just getting out of that, getting out of that. And I, I never was a poor me, like pouty guy, but I think you can fall into the trap of like, oh, of course it didn't happen. Oh, of course, here we go again. Here we go again. That's victim mindset. And so the work to get out of that of no Max, stop being that it's a new opportunity, new day. And so I say that because after I got benched that pay, it was really like comical of the fact of, yeah, here we go again, one and two start. And when I got benched, it was like, literally, we need a spark. This isn't necessarily you. Like, I'm not even kidding. And I, I don't say this to de- to have people feel bad for me, but yeah, I'm three and five as a college quarterback and I, all five losses are against top 10 uh, teams in the country. Right. And so, wait, yeah, maybe four, but either way. Wait, one, two. Oklahoma whatever. State yeah. may not have been ranked. I don't. I didn't look it up. But no, yeah, they were. I, that, that's that, that's Mason Rudolph, James oh, Washington. You, yeah, wait, yeah, there you go. Yeah, no, they were loaded. And yeah. Penn State was Saquon Barkley. Yeah. Uh, but either way, or maybe it's four, three and four as a starter, and all four. Either way, whatever. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, at that point when I got benched, it was just you kind of like chuckle, like, oh my gosh, like what, what the heck, man? Like the world. And then sure enough, I got, I got, but then. But then I got put in the game. The next game that I didn't start, Ben DiNucci started, and he played the first half, and offense wasn't doing anything. And so I got put right back in because they knew, like, all right, this – like, that, that, that my, my, my offensive coordinator never wanted to bench me, I don't think. He just, you know, was scared for his own job, and right. we needed to throw the ball. So I'm put back in there. At that point, I'm like, all right, here we go again. And I'm sure you'll get to it. But the next week, we uh, took care of business against Rice, and uh, – was ACC player of the week there, had a bunch of success. And I said, all right, sweet. After all the crap, we're back on the right track now. And so, yeah, that was kind of how, how my thought process was then. Yeah. And then the train kind of hits, right? October 7th you, against Syracuse, you get sacked and it's, it's your throwing shoulder. It's, it's, it looked from the hit itself. Did you think it was going to be as severe as it, as it ended up being. And I'll get to how that was in a second, but did you think like right away, like, I'm like, this is bad, really bad. I did not No, And once again, it's the wishful thinking. It's the optimistic mindset. It's, Hey, I'll be out four to six weeks and we'll be good to go in hindsight though. Right shoulder. They're popping it in on the field. I'm in a sling. Like I, in hindsight, I was like, all right, this is going to be a real uphill battle, but I was so used to having to battle. I was so used to things not like having to be uh, to persevere and and whatnot. So that was nothing new, but uh, no, at that point I said, all right, just another challenge. I'll rehab and um, we'll, uh, we'll get this, we'll get this back on track. Cause keep in mind this whole time in the fall of, or in the summer of 2016, I remember sitting down with Clay Helton and he said with Sam and I in his office, he looks me and Sam in the eye and says, guys, I have two NFL starting quarterbacks in my office and one of you guys isn't going to start for me. I have a really hard decision. This is a great decision to have, but I have a hard decision. So like those, com- those comments are still in my mind. I remember some uh, my, co- my coaches at Pitt saying, Hey man, you're better than Nate Peterman and Nate Peterman's in the NFL starting for the bills. 
like straight up, like not even, and, and I don't say that with any disrespect to Nate. He's, no. I mean, he's, he's picked up a bunch of paychecks, but I say that like, <laughs> those are still in my mind of like, people are people that are football minds are seeing how I'm playing in practice. It's only a matter of time before I, you know, the things align for the world to see. So those thought processes as a competitor are always front of mind, even in the injury ridden days ahead. Yeah. And, and, and I just want to get to the, the injury itself, it's a torn labrum. And as a swimmer, I know that pain. I never, I never suffered one, thank goodness, but I do know plenty of athletes that have torn their labrum. It requires surgery. You're out for the rest of the year. Basically your college career is coming to a screeching halt. And, uh, you know, after that, you know, a few tryouts in the NFL later in, in late 2018, early 2019, nothing pans out and you decide your playing career is done. The question I want to ask you, and I, and I do apologize if I like fast forwarded your story here, but the question I want to ask is who was the first person you told I'm done playing football? Probably my girlfriend, Victoria. Yeah. Probably my girlfriend. I think from there, maybe my, after that, my best friend, uh, Nick Splendorio, who we had trained a little bit back home, but then, and I've shared this on my social media the hardest call I had to make was to my dad and not because my dad was going to, you know, be disappointed in me. We didn't have that relationship. And I'm thankful because there's a lot of dads out there that would be, and it would be the kind of, it would, it would strain the relationship in a big way. Right. And so hear me loud and clear, whoever's listening, it's nothing against my dad, but it's what that call symbolized. It symbolized that it didn't work out. The, the goal that I had to make it to the NFL, which I know is aspirational, but that was the plan, man. That was, that was where I'm that was the expectation. It wasn't just me being wishful thinking that as the number one quarterback in the country at 17, I'm saying, Hey, I'm going to be in the NFL someday. That was the goal. That's what you're waking up for. That's why you're training at SC. That's why you're doing what you're doing. So to call and say, dad, I'm done. There's no, it's the end of the road. Just what that symbolized was uh, a very tough call and uh, an emotional one for, uh, for sure as well. I was going to say too, cause like, you're right. This wasn't wishful thinking. This wasn't like, you know, six, six year old max, seven year old max. Like the dream is to be an NFL quarterback. This was like, this was on the dock for any high school, number one recruit. And to have that type of conversation with the, the, the man that was probably up with you at every six, like not the helicopter dad. Cause I, cause I know that was very clear, but I mean, like dad's always up at six. Like I think of my dad when he was like lap counting for me for the mile, when he was driving us to all the swim meets and God knows where California, like that is that. And like, I don't think maybe, you know, he, he'll probably be the first to tell you didn't let him down, but just somewhere in the back of your mind, you're thinking, man, like this wasn't it. This wasn't where you and me like sat at the dinner table after a Friday night game and was like, yes, like this is, we're, we're on the right track here was well worded. I echo everything you said. Yeah. It's that feeling of in my brain, I knew I didn't let him down or let my family or friends or my hometown down. I knew that in my brain, but my heart felt a different way. And that's for one thing I get pushed back. And I referenced this before from people that say, Oh, Max, like you didn't fail. Like you played at SC, like are you kidding? I would love to do that. Mm. And I respect that. Mm. But I think when you're in the arena and like the, the goal is to play in the NFL and that's the pressure. And you have, I have to wear the negative sides of some of that. Like we've talked about, I just don't relate to the mindset that like, Oh, well, shucks, it didn't work out, but at least I w- went to SC. 
that's not how I'm wired. And I, I don't think there's any problem with that. And that's a big, a big message I push today because I know I'm not alone in that. I know a lot of my teammates are the same way where there's some pain when the, when the professional dreams don't work out. It's not just a, ah, shucks, and then I'll go down the next path. No, your identity's trapped up in it. Your life works trapped up into it. And the whole sports culture when you're in it is, man, you got to be tunnel vision. You got to be tunnel, tunnel vision. And then when they when you're asked to go a different vision or a different path, well, no, no shit. Things are tough and it's, it's kind of hard to find that lane, yeah. but that doesn't necessarily relate to people that haven't been, uh, been in that athletic, uh, saddle, so to speak. Right. And I know you've, you've touched on this on shows in the past and like that, that, that connotation is like, well, Max, you got a free education at the university of South, you know, Southern California, but for you, that wasn't that wasn't why you signed up for USC. And there are like, I don't fault any athlete that goes into something. is like, Hey, like this, like I'm getting a free education. I, I get to play the sport I love and I'll go get a great degree and I'll be a great businessman. And I'll like to use the Tom Brady quote, I'll sell insurance, whatever. Like, but this wasn't how Max Brown was wired. So off of all that, do you have, like, do you call yourself a failure here? Um, no, I do not call myself a failure, but I do say I have failed. And I think there's a big difference, obviously there. I have failed at some of my athletic aspirations, all my athletic aspirations. No, but I have failed in my pursuit as a collegiate quarterback. Right. I mean, there's all right. If someone succeeded, right. If, if Jared Goff and I were in the same boat coming out of high school or similar boats, he mm -hmm. succeeded. Mm -hmm. Well, someone else failed. And I know that's harsh and people don't like talking about that, but it's given me a lot of um, uh, accountability, a lot of peace and, and not trying to dance around that. I've, I watch people all the time of, oh, well, you didn't do that. And they try to convince themselves, but as a result, they never move forward with it. They never accept the reality of their situation and that's not healthy either. So it's kind of pick your poison there. So not a failure. Uh, the journey and the, the is still going on. I'm in the middle of it. I, I don't think, I think that's one thing that most football players in my seat view their life as, Hey, the second their sports over their life's over. And so that's another message I say of um, getting past that. But to our earlier point too, I think it's just very hypocritical in our world where people will turn on the last dance documentary with Michael Jordan, or they'll watch a couple Kobe videos, rest in peace. Mm -hmm. And they'll get all, They'll get all motivated about that mindset like oh yeah you see michael jordan man he 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 was competitive he was ruthless like man that that's what you got to have to be great and then they right. get all excited but then when i think i have a piece of that but then my story didn't work out and there is no ring at the end of the rainbow or there is no nba finals championship and mine my side didn't work out well then people say oh well max you're just being too hard on yourself oh max no 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 like you can't have it both ways. Yeah. You can't compliment the mindset on one side and then fault me when things don't work out. And I know people are just coming from a place of, you know, trying to be positive and loving, but that's just never sat right with me. And I think it's okay. I think it's okay to, or not that's okay, but I think it's okay to accept that failure happens and that's yeah. just part of life. And I think when uh, you aren't, when you don't accept that, it just, uh, I think it, you're, you're making things harder for yourself long-term. And, and I will say that was a leading question. I, I kind of knew where you were going to go and I don't want to call you a failure because I, I, that's not who you are. I just know there is, there are ki like, kids that watch this last dance documentary 
or people that, you know, I, I mean, yeah, Kobe was like my idol growing up, right? Like they have to be that. And when it doesn't work out, my whole life's a failure. And I think we need, especially in this age of everything at everyone's fingertips, like everyone's going to watch these, these, you know, the LeBrons of the world, the, even like Zion, like even though he hasn't necessarily like won an NBA championship, like people see him at Duke and he's like the best college basketball player of all time. Like it's this failure mindset. It's like, if I'm not on their level because I'm watching them every day, day in and day out, like I know exactly how these people live. Like, no, you don't. Like it's, it, there was there's so much more to that than just what you're seeing on a documentary or on Instagram or on Twitter or whatnot. Like it's, there's so much more to learn. When I hear you say that, I think, from an outsider's perspective, it's so easy to be like, oh, well, Zion's living the life and it's, it's, all, it's all perfect and, and all that. And don't get me wrong. It's an absolute blessing to be in that position. And I do think there's actually two sides to that. There's one where you're getting paid and your life is advancing and you're able to take care of your own self. It's a different animal when you're college and, right, I, it, it's just, it, it, there's two sides to it. I don't, I don't have as much empathy for the professional because I think that's just like part of it versus right. a high schooler in college kind of thing. Right. But uh, yeah, I guess what I'm trying to say is, it ain't always sunshine and rainbows for uh, Zion. He, he that, that that pressure, the expectations, the ability to have to, or the, the, to to account for uh, for for so many people's livelihood and whatnot. It's uh, there, there, there's two sides to things for sure. And I want to before we move on to maybe like the post football life, have you necessarily moved on, or I guess is there a day that goes by that you don't think about? the LA Coliseum, Cody Kessler, Sam Darnold, or even maybe like the University of Alabama at, at Cowboy Stadium? There's definitely days where I don't think about uh, Cody Kessler or Alabama, <laughs> but there's not, a, there's not a day where I don't think about football in general, just to put it in a larger bucket. And I think that's okay. That's a huge thing I, I preach today is all those lesson, lessons, all that shit that I went through, all the things that suck, that suck. Well, in the best way possible, they callous up your brain and they callous up your resiliency. And I, I, I like to think I use that on a daily basis. I like to think I don't let little things bother me as much because I've seen when things are when things are really pressurized. And don't get me wrong, I didn't have a, a loved one pass away, thank God, lock, knock on wood. Like so, it is just a sport. I'm not wary, or I'm, I'm wary of that. But I, I try to keep the lessons that football uh, showed me and taught me front of mind every single day. And so of course I'm thinking about football, but can't say I always been thinking about Clay Helton or Cody Kessler or Nick Saban <laughs> or something like that. And like, I, I love when people say like, it's just a game, but to, to you, this game was everything. It was, it was the, the blueprint for where life was going to lead you. Like it, 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 you know, like when people say, well, like Max, don't worry about it. It was just a game. Like, no like that wasn't the plan like it wasn't you know it wasn't just a game for me when I was 17 it wasn't just a game for me when I got to USC this was my life did you did, did you have that similar am I am I like on the right path here 100% and it, it gets back to that that point I just said before I just I find that stance from someone incredibly hypocritical because would they say that to a Kobe or Michael Jordan and obviously I'm not Kobe or Michael Jordan but I would like to think I at least have a thread of that athletic mentality. And no, you would never say that in a war in the, in any world to them, because that's not what's made them great. And so when people say that to me, it's like, I just don't relate to that. And some guys, some guys, 
you know, they could take or leave football. I played with a lot of guys that I see that football, you know, they could take it or leave it. It was just something they were good at. And maybe that comment of it's just a game relates to them. Mm. I was intense and it was a blessing at times because it led to a lot of success, you know, when this is, uh, when you take it seriously, but it also, the flip side of that is uh, there can be some, some painful days. And you mentioned like, do you move on? I always say I never move on. Uh, I'll, I'll, I take the lessons with me, but I can move forward. And uh, that's what I always try to do is move forward from the, uh, the, 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 the disappointment of the college career. So what are the steps that you've been taking or maybe even like the day you decided that I'm done playing football? How did you take those steps to move forward and, and do remain in such a positive mindset that there is more to life than, than this game right now, like now, nowadays? Yeah, I think the original steps were took even bef- well before that day happened. So I was always wary that eventually football is going to be over. I thought it was going to be when I was 38 and not 22, but I always knew that was a real, like that was a possibility in life. And so as a result, I took care of business in school. And I'd like to think I, you know, was nice to advisors and counselors and would say, hello to teachers and not in like a kiss ass way and not like it like you know networking like big time but enough where whenever that day happened it would be like you know what all right max is going to find the, the 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 next path kind of thing um and so the original steps were taken before that but once i decided to move on from football in the most tangible way i moved across the country and i got out of the routine that I was in and I took a marketing job in New York and I think that helped me turn the page where it wasn't like I was staying in the same spot instead of driving to the field every morning I drove I had to drive past the field to go to my desk job or something I think that would have been a lot harder for me at that phase of life to just flip the switch go from you know sleeping in the same bed training to sleeping in the same bed now I'm settled and going working a nine to five I think that would have messed with my head a lot so I think moving to New York helped me a bunch and I've made it a point in my early twenties to take advantage of this phase. And I've taken high upside jobs, jobs that are interesting to me, work, working for people that, you know, um, I like what they're doing. I like the mission they're part of and um, not just doing the easy route, so to speak, and trying to keep the, the, the gas on and, and try to find a path that can, uh, nothing will ever light me up. Like, uh, be playing in the Coliseum, but yeah. I think there are careers and paths and steps that uh, can can at least get going down that path. And it's up to myself, and it's up to other guys in my in my shoes to taste things and go find what that path is. Right, and like as a kid who is maybe in the same shoes you were in 2011, 2012, maybe they were, you know, maybe they are the Gatorade National Player of the Year in football, maybe whatever, like whatever it is, they're so highly regarded, you know, and going back to that house of cards example, how do we help these highly regarded recruits kind of, I don't want to say like over-prepare for that next chapter, but just knowing, like seeing it more big picture that like you should probably be ready for what could happen. I think it's celebrating all the off the field aspects that athletes are doing so I think about LeBron and some of the other avenues that he has and for so long I think the athletic culture we were it was it was a subtle taboo of hey if you had other interests that means you weren't all in on your sport and I think we're moving out of that culture which I think is a good thing 
because so often can't tell you how many teammates I had where it's, man, I, I'm, if I'm focused on a plan B, that means I'm fail. I'm, I'm going to, I'm preparing to fail kind of thing. Like if I, if I'm doing school, man, that means I'm not all in on, on football. And that's kind of, mm -hmm. even if they were never explicitly saying that, that's how they were wired. So I think mm -hmm. it, it's showing guys that you can have other interests and you can be uh, involved in other things. But I think the reality is I'm not just a wishful thinker. The reality is when you're in it and you are a Zion or you are a top recruit, like you're going to be tunnel vision. You're going to be focused. And so what can we have guys do? I think it's getting them out of this, ego my shit doesn't stink mentality and showing them like hey look how cool it is when you are the same guy and people are in your corner and they are rooting for you because when things like when 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 a story like mine plays out and you are falling off the 20 story building or whatever i'm thankful that when i do see people from high school it's still kind of the same max you know it's still mm -hmm. kind of the same dude and it makes it easier you're going to have pain. It's going to be tough. That's just the reality of what it is, but it makes it easier to pick up the phone and say, Hey, Jared, uh, I'm done playing football, thinking about this. Can you help me out? That, that phone call is a lot easier when you're a level head, like when you're the same dude versus when in high school, you were the, you were the arrogant dick or whatever. And now you're coming to ask for me for help. That's where guys, I've seen a lot of guys struggle. A lot of guys have some problems and a lot of guys have, some lonely, lonely uh, days for sure. Yeah. And I want to talk about that arrogance a little bit because now with the national uh, uh, name, image, and likeness passing, people are making bank. And I'm like, I don't want to say, take the, I don't want to say this lightly. Like the starting quarterback at Alabama, he went to my rival high school. So I'm going to call it out. Like hasn't played a game in his life with that helmet on and he's already pushing six figure deals according to Nick Saban. So that's, a, that's the, that's the trusted source. How, like, how do you stay level-headed here now? Like, I mean, as a, like for a swimmer, that's easy. Like, okay. Like I have my other interests. I get that cool brand deal from like, I don't know, a kickboard company, like, you know, like maybe not speedo, but like whatever. But now, like if I'm the starting quarterback at Alabama, my other interests, I don't give a crap about the game. I'm already getting paid. So like, like, do you see this name, image, and likeness maybe impeding on that? Like, how do you, how much do you really care about this sport right now? I'm fascinated to see how it plays out. I think it go all sorts of ways. I think it could, I think you can make the argument that it won't be that much different in terms mm -hmm. of the arrogance piece, whether, mm -hmm. Hey, if, if Bryce Young, he was still big man on campus and he was still probably all, all hyped and I've heard nothing but great things about him. So I'm sure right. he's a level-headed dude. Right. But then does the bank account really change even does it make him even more arrogant maybe maybe but I guess I'm, I'm hopeful that you know maybe that's like if you're Bryce Young you're thinking hey I'm going to get paid in two years no matter what right like I'm going to the NFL like this is it really that groundbreakingly different I think you can make an argument that maybe not for a guy like Bryce Young who already was high profile and now he's just kind of cashing in on it but I don't know if it changes his mentality the one thing that I'm optimistic about, and I, I'm the only person that I've ever heard talk about it from this lens, is now with NIL, there's going to be a dialogue between athletes and their boosters and athletes and companies. And when I played, there was no dialogue. There, that Everyone was so scared of breaking rules that right. there was no dialogue with CFOs and CEOs and boosters and guys that can really help people's lives. Guys that can, you know, even if you're not in a job interview while you're playing football, you're at least 
uh, having a conversation with donor Mark or whatever. So then you, it, it, you're not, so then when you're done playing and you call up Mark and say, Hey, Hey, remember that company? Like, are you guys like hiring or something? Mm -hmm. That conversation is way easier when you've at least had a dialogue while you're playing. So I'm, I'm hopeful that it could really help a lot of guys that not in a, a true dollar sense of, Hey, I'm getting thousands and millions of dollars or whatever, but more of a, now they're starting to think about brands and now they're starting to think about, Hey, that, that, what, what do you do for, for a living? What, what do you do for that company speedo? That, that, yeah. that kind of thing. And it, it, it progresses down the road. Uh, and I don't know if you'll ever be able to quantify this, but uh, I'm optimistic that it could be a really good thing. Yeah. It might not all be about X's and O's now. It could very much be about like what, what business, like the business brain that you can build from this can be super beneficial on top of what you're learning in school. So I, I'm, I'm, I completely agree with that for sure. Um, I know we've talked a lot about what the next chapter will look like for athletes, what it's looked like for you, but what's the next chapter that you're writing right now? What are you working on right now? Yeah. Being this year, I made a career change. So I moved from the marketing world to commercial real estate. So I'm a broker over here in LA and uh, trying to build my own book of business and trying to tap into that athletic mindset as much as I can. Um, for those that know, it's a very competitive world. And that's a big reason why I wanted to get in it. I think uh, competition is tough, but then when you win, so to speak, it can be awfully fulfilling as well. So excited about that, working with some great people and trying to build the foundation of my life there. That's one piece. And then I do some broadcasting as well. And fortunately enough, I've leveled up with some opportunities this year. So I'll be calling two Pac-12 games, working for Pac-12 networks, and they picked up my YouTube channel as well. So doing some breakdowns uh, for their streaming platform. So exciting things. And once again, I've alluded to it. I'll, I'll never be able to uh, act or, or tap into the Coliseum days and all the fulfillment, like I, football is my, my, my first love, so to speak. But what right. I can do is at least try to tap into some of the, the mental wirings of what football brought me. And that's what I'm trying to do is build the foundation of, uh, of my life. So when we talk 10 years from now, um, you know, I'm impacting the world, helping people uh, in uh, being a position to help people and impact this world. That's always kind of been my mission. And I originally thought it was going to be through football, Right. Uh, but now it's taking a different, uh, different path. Yeah. You bring up a really good point. I think like in the commercial real estate realm or like I'm in sales, like if there's a career that I could tell every athlete to at least humor the idea to get that sort of that natural high that you get from touching the wall first in a swim meet, you know, score, you know, uh, game winning drive in a two minute drill, whatever it is, that there's nothing that's going to come remotely close to that than probably like sales, in my opinion, like, and maybe that's just because I couldn't agree more. I yeah. couldn't agree more. I, and that was, I found that out at 24. Yeah. And I wish I would have found that out. I wish I would have found that out at 20. Like, right. Yeah. yeah. It's, 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 it's like, like to your point, nothing that you ever do because it's never, because you're never going to do it again is going to be throwing a touchdown at the call scene because you're not going to do that. So like to, to try and compare apples to apples, that's like comparing apples to cucumbers at this point. Like it's just completely different. Like it's, you know, it, but to get as close as you possibly can, I think sales is like that, the, com the competitiveness in the office, the drive that you get from like closing a long-term deal. It's like, it, it, it definitely gets those, um, those types of um, kind of like endorphins, I guess, for sure. 100%, 100%, couldn't agree more.
Awesome. All right. Well, we have one last question for you. And we've talked about writing the chapters, what's next, writing all this stuff. So I guess this is the most fitting end to our conversation. We ask it for all of our guests. So if you were to write your autobiography today, what would be the title of it and why? And I just saw your eyes just go, oh, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I've always thought, like, it could be just a one-word title, and it could just be bust. And what I mean by that is, I know it's harsh, don't get me wrong, and I know people are going to say, Max, you're crazy, but I think there's a certain power in, you know, Owners owning that and owning that piece of my life and, you know, not, not having that be the, like, and, you know, just, just that, that word is so negative. So there's a certain part of me that takes pride and just, you know, like owning that. And if I were to write a story, um, not that that has to be the entire focus, but to, you know, accept that, but still show that, Hey, I'm ha I have a great life. I have so much to be blessed for. I've had so many great experiences that it's kind of, I don't know, ironic that 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 might be the uh, that, that that might be the title, but I, I think the uh, the Seattle Times article did a good job as well. I mean, uh, the Seattle Times article that came out earlier this week or earlier this year, sorry, they did a feature on me. It was from number one to bust. Former Skyline star QB Max Brown is still standing and sharing his story. I thought that was uh, pretty spot on as well. If you want a little bit more uh, catchy of a uh, headline, I think bus is like i mean like if i see that i'm definitely gonna be like okay what is this about that i mean like who's gonna yeah. write a story about I've always like, like, if i make a if i make a company and obviously bust has a, a couple uh, right different different meetings but if i had a if a company like how ironic would that be to like name it name it that it's like elon musk's the boring company right just you know a similar mindset of hey a play on words so to speak of hey if you're you're thinking that it's ridiculous that I could name it this. Well, then I'm going to do exactly that type of mindset. I love it. I love it. Well, Max, this has been an absolute blast. I had, I had a wonderful time and I hope you did as well. Thank you so much for coming on. And I hope we, that we can stay in touch. Likewise, this was a blast and uh, awesome questions and always, uh, always a pleasure to share my story and hopefully it uh, brought some value to people too and appreciate everyone listening. Absolutely. All right, Max, I'll talk to you soon. Yep. So a big thank you to Max Brown for coming on this week's show and sharing his incredible story. I do hope here as the listeners, uh, you were able to gain something really valuable from this story. One thing that I will take away from this interview is that we all have goals. We all have aspirations. We all have expectations set for ourselves. And when the hardships come and they will come, and, and a lot of times they come hard and fast, we have to be able to be ready to take them headstrong. And, and Max really did that. Things didn't go his way. People stopped believing in him. People stopped giving him those chances. And he found a way. It may not be the perfect story he drew up at 15, 16 years old, but I can tell you today that Max Brown is a success story. I, I can 100% I can say that. And I know that because of the man he is. So again, a big thank you to Max for coming on this week's show. Be sure to go follow him on social media. I'll leave all links in the description of this week's podcast. Guys, if you like listening to these episodes, you want to see some clips over on the Instagram, be sure to follow us at Normal Guy Lazy Eye. A big thank you to you all for an incredible, incredible year of this podcast. Thank you guys so, so much. We have some incredible new guests and maybe, maybe just maybe a recurring guest that I know 
everyone will love. So again, big thank you to you guys, and I will see you all next week.